I want to share with you this morning a message entitled Brass or Gold. Brass or Gold. The danger of substitutions. Weeks ago, I felt the Holy Spirit quickening these verses that I'm going to read to you. Um, I need to set this up a little bit with a historical backdrop, and then we'll go to the application for ourselves. Most of you know that Solomon was one of Judah's greatest kings. We read how God blessed him with wisdom and with great wealth. The literal splendor of the riches brought him favor, divine favor. So much so that even foreigners would come to view. You remember the story of Queen Sheba's visit, don't you? And how she brought gifts, but she came and was impressed at the wisdom and the wealth that she saw upon the life of King Solomon. The scripture tells us that in 1 Kings chapter 10, and I've just tried to only include a couple of key verses here for you on the screen. If you want to read it all, you can read the first 17 verses of chapter 10. But the scripture says that King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shell. He also made 300 smaller shields of hammered gold with three minas of gold in each shield. The king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Did you know that the genius of Solomon was not limited to just building the temple? He also built other structures, and one of them was this temple, or sometimes referred to as the house of Lebanon. He decorated this building with all the riches that God had blessed him with. A part of the decorations in this house was a large ivory throne. Can you imagine? With overlaid gold. In addition to that, he hung from the ceilings of this house of Lebanon, suspending for all to see 300 shields, smaller shields that were hanging from the ceiling, made of the purest gold. Those shields were to be representatives of God's favor upon his people. They represented the relationship between Jehovah and his people. They were symbols of the prosperity, the glory, the power, the prestige with which God had blessed the obedience of his people. 500 shields total. 200 large, 300 small. He hung the 300 suspended from the ceiling, if you can imagine. 300 pure gold shields suspended from the ceiling. And then the 200 large ones, he took and he put them one each in the hand of special guards. And they would line the entryway to this special building. And as the sun would shine, it would glimmer off of the gold shields lining the entrance to this special house of Lebanon. All of this was to represent God's glory. But we know from reading the scripture, the years took their toll, and Solomon died, 
And now Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was now the king. Some of you may remember from your studies about Rehoboam, but he was essentially intoxicated by idolatry and prosperity. He was filled and active with loose living. He led the people into more idolatry, immorality. He literally redefined evil to its highest point. Judah had now turned away from their devotion to God. Following his father, Solomon, this is a, simply a, a representation, an artistic representation of Solomon's dedication of his temple. But now that day has gone. Rehoboam has replaced him as king, and things were clearly in a degraded condition spiritually. They had turned from God along with their king, and now they were positioned for judgment. Let me read to you from Second Chronicles chapter 12, and uh, you can read the first 11 verses to get another view of it, but I'm just going to read a little bit. After Rehoboam's position as king was established and he had become strong, he and all of Israel with him abandoned the law of the Lord. You see? They abandoned the law of the Lord. Because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, listen, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem in the fifth year of King Rehoboam. Verse 9. When Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem, he carried off the treasures of the temple and the treasures of the royal palace. He took everything, including the gold shields Solomon had made. So King Rehoboam made bronze shields to replace them. And he assigned to these commanders... On the guard, assign them the commanders of the guard on duty at the entrance to the royal palace. Do you understand what's happening here? Maybe the two striking things for you to notice are these statements that I just am gleaning from these passages that I've read to you. Number one, the golden shields that Solomon made were carried away, they were stolen. The second statement is that Rehoboam replaced them. With what kind of shields? Brass, not gold. You say, well, what's the big deal about this? As a result of the apostasy of God's people, God allowed Judah, that was, by the way, at its greatest point of physical strength, allowed them to be attacked by the Egyptians, and the judgment of God marched into Jerusalem in the form of Shishak and the Egyptian army. And they ravaged the place, taking everything that they could, including of stripping the temple of these 500 shields of gold. Shishak carried away the gold shields. That might not stick in your mind except for what they represented. They represented the purity of devotion to God. They represented the blessings of God that came because of that devotion. These gold shields were not just a luxury item. They were symbolic. But now we have this chilling warning. 
that is also a solemn warning for you and for me today. He carried away the golden shields. Following that, Rehoboam, filled with pride, full of himself, was determined not to be ashamed or embarrassed by what this might mean because, you see, the, those shields as well as the wealth of Judah represented something to the nations at large. So to protect his own reputation, he said, I have an idea. We'll simply construct and craft some other shields. We'll replace it. The problem was the Egyptian army had taken away all the gold. What could they do? They did what was the most logical thing to do. They used brass. They took common brass that if you shine it really, really good, sets off a glimmer that might be viewed as gold to some people. How many of you have ever, like me, um, I remember many, 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 many years ago, we had a, a collection, we were raising money for a building, and people were bringing bracelets and rings and jewels and because they wanted them to be cashed in for money, thinking, you know how it is, you always think your stuff's worth more than it really is. But anyway, so people were bringing this stuff thinking, wow, we're really good. So I, I, I remember one of, our, one of our leaders had taken them to resell, and they said, Pastor, I've got bad news. I said, what's the news? Man, that was a great offering. Yeah, but over half of what was supposed to be gold wasn't real gold. Have you ever taken something into a pawn shop or to a gold merchant and found out that what you thought was gold wasn't? Anybody here? Nothing more disappointing, is there? But the point of the matter is certain metals can be made to look like gold, but there's a distinct difference. Amen? Brass is not gold. And these brass shields, he put in the same number of small shields, he put in the same number of large shields. His idea was what? I'm going to use this brass as substitution to replace the gold that now is gone. The judgment of God has come. We're in a backslidden condition. So what am I going to do? We'll simply make bronze shields to replace them. I know that some of you are thinking, what does that have to do with us today? Today I believe that too many of us to disguise many times our complacent walks with God, sometimes we're busy building, crafting, substitute, replacement shields, no longer made of gold, but made of brass. We have polished up all the image-making efforts. We've gotten it just where it looks. If you look at it quickly, what do you think? Oh, it's gold. Wow, how impressive. But underneath, anybody who knows the truth can tell. Brass for gold? These passages are not just a warning about the danger of losing golden shields. Symbolic of our walk with God, symbolic of our integrity, symbolic of so much that we're going to speak to. But this is also a story that reminds us 
a warning about the devilish temptation to develop substitutions. Brass for gold. Solomon's weak, proudful, vain son, Rehoboam, was not the last person trying to make brass look like gold. It happens too often. It happens in many of our lives. I've been there, done that, convicted, yes. I happen to know churches and organizations and ministries that at one time were marked, dedicated for the glory of God. And yet things have happened. Lives and commitments have been diluted. Consecration now is turned to complacency. And now all of a sudden, the enemy has come and taken away the gold. But we are so efficient. We have replaced it now with brass. Shined up really good. Just put a lot of stuff on it and it'll look just like gold. Can you see, can you picture those guards with those large shields, those 200 large shields lined out in front of this house, this temple, lined out there proudly holding what used to be valuable. Now it was chump change. Holding, making certain that they had polished it up really good. Friends, listen to me. If there's one thing on my heart today, it's that may the Lord help you, help me personally and corporately. First of all, Never let the enemy come and steal our gold. Don't let him steal our gold. And secondly, don't try to build substitutes. Don't exchange brass for gold. So here's what I want to do. I've picked five examples that I can connect, I think, to us as people who love the Lord and to a church that wants to serve God. So this is by way of warning of things, and I'm using these five because I've seen them. Not necessarily here, but I've seen them through the years. So I'm going to share with you five common substitutions, or in other words, five shields, brass shields, that have been substituted for the gold. Number one, you ready for these? Number one, we commonly substitute works for grace. We substitute the brass shield of good works for the gold of grace. You know what the Scripture tells us. You know this verse very well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. For it is by, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Listen, not by works, verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. Did you hear that? How are we made right with God? How are we saved? How are we forgiven? It's not by good works. We cannot work ourselves into acceptance with God. Right standing with God only comes by grace. It's not earned. It's not deserved. And this very element of salvation by grace, not by works, sets our faith apart. 
It differentiates Christian, Christianity from other cults and religions. Always remember this. Religion emphasizes doing. Our Christian faith emphasizes done. Done by who? By what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago. You can't earn acceptance from God. We should know that. Humorously, Mark Twain once wrote, Heaven goes by favor. If it were by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. Might be the case with many of us. We can never earn salvation. Only Christ can pay the price. So today, if you're here, you don't know Jesus on a personal level, you want to get right with God, I've got good news for you. It's my grace. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do everything right. It's by grace that we are saved. Amen? Number two. The second substitution that is so easily made is we substitute human effort for God's anointing and power. Human effort becomes the brass shield. Zechariah 4, 6 says it best, not by might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It is not through our own power, our own might, our own talent, our efforts, or our own this or that. It's not that God doesn't use us. It's not that we're not involved in partnering with Him. But it is important to make the distinction between human effort and divine anointing. This is the constant battle between flesh and spirit. The easiest thing is to what? Just lean on the brass. Depend on the brass. Just do it in the flesh. We can even polish it up, make it look good, make it look like church, make it look like faith. When all along, it's just our own good, maybe even sincere efforts. It's not, it's not good. Well, remember the story well. I won't retell it all, but for those that do remember, this was this is what was going on with David, trying to bring the ark back into Jerusalem, place it. Restore the Ark of the Covenant. And his first attempt was what? It was well intended. He actually had good motivations from what we can tell. The problem was he did what? He built a cart made with human hands. A man-made wagon that they put the Ark of the Covenant on. Caused a few problems, didn't it? Didn't obey God. Did not honor what God had said. This is how you move the Ark. And the result was what? Judgment came. Many times, churches, individuals, ministers, pastors, what we do, maybe it's sincere, but sometimes it's just a cart, an old wagon that we construct, we build, we put a lot of work into it. We may even spend a lot of money on it, but it doesn't receive God's favor because it's human effort, not God's plan or power. That is not a good substitute for that. Oh, there's so many examples I could give you, but listen, don't substitute good programs for God's power. I'm not against programs in churches, but, but listen, I, I'm convinced that far, far too often we ought to kill some programs and find out what God's doing. You know, it's a whole lot easier to ask God to bless what you're doing, but it's more effective to find out what God's doing and do that. 
Programs are not the key. He can use that. He can anoint it. But let's not exchange human effort for God's anointing. I'll never forget the story told by uh, Dr. Kenneth Hagin many, many, many years ago of two young men who were brand new uh, followers of Jesus and they wanted to be used by God and they were following the revivalist evangelist William Branton around in the 1940s. They followed him around to a meeting and they saw God mightily use him. And William Branton, although things didn't go so well towards the end of his ministry life, but he was greatly used by God and, and many miracles were, were done through his ministry for many years. And they went and saw William Branton and they saw a miracle one night. They saw him pray for someone who had a large uh, growth, goiter, on their neck. And they saw William Brandon under the fully inspired, directed by the Holy Spirit. And they saw William Brandon take his fist. God spoke to him and said, punch, punch that lady's goiter. Now, you just better hear from God when you do that, right? So William Brannan, anointed by God, went back and hit it, and it disappeared. She fell out under the power of God, got up. It was totally gone, disappeared, healed miraculously. And boy, she was a happy, happy lady. These two guys that were observing said, how cool is that? A couple weeks later, they found some crazy group of people that are willing to let them come minister. They came and ministered, and a lady came forward in that prayer line, and she had developed a large growth as she was pregnant with a child, but there was a growth attached to, uh, to her womb. So these boys looked at each other and went, we know what to do. Yeah. They reared back and hit her and they hit her, and they said, in the name of Jesus. And they hit her, and she died. What's my point? There's a big difference between human effort, even sometimes sincere human effort, and it being a God thing. Listen, all your ideas are not God's ideas. There's a difference between a good idea and a God idea. And we need to be very careful that we do not substitute human efforts for God's power and anointing. Number three, you ready for this? Number three, sometimes we fall prey to the temptation to substitute ritual for spiritual. Ritual for spiritual. Now listen to me. There's nothing wrong with rituals that are done with meaning. Not empty rituals, but with the right heart meaning and particularly as they are biblical. But even Jesus addresses this, <clears throat> this ritualistic approach to prayer in Matthew 6, verse 5, when he says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. That, that's what was important to them. So they were following a ritual of prayer, and Jesus said, that's not the way you're to do it. What's the difference? It's a difference of substituting something that's just ritual, empty ritual, for something that's truly spiritual. 
It can be done in other rituals, whether it's water baptism or whether it's sharing the Lord's table or whether it's a format for a service, an order of service, and you get stuck in certain rituals. And it's okay to, to have certain forms. It's okay to have certain reminders, particularly if they're biblically based. But when we substitute ritual for the real thing, that's where we get into trouble. Paul warns, 2 Timothy 3, 5, be careful because... Some will have what? The appearance of godliness. But they deny the reality, the power that we should have. We need to remember always not to allow ourselves to substitute brass for gold. There's a fourth example, and that's the substitution of charisma for character. The substitution of charisma for character. It's important to understand the difference. You know what charisma is. Charisma, I'm talking about not the spiritual charisma, uh, but the, the personality, the, the talent, the, the, the personal resources. That some, You know, you can be quite impressed with charisma. There's nothing wrong with having charisma. Either you have it or you don't, probably, but there's nothing evil about charisma until we depend on it and we use it and replace it for Character is a different thing. Character has been called character's power, according to Booker T. Washington. Character is very different from just charisma. D.L. Moody is known to have said, character is what you are when no one else is watching. Pastor Bill Hybels loves to say, character is what you are when the lights are turned off. Character is that inner part of you. That's, that's integrity. I, I like to say that's, that's integrity. Charisma has to do with image. What are you more interested in? What are you trying to develop? Are you focusing on just charisma, talent, giftings, or is it character? John Maxwell says that your gifts and skills may get you to the top, but only character can keep you there. David, a wonderful example of integrity in leadership in Psalm chapter 78 and verse 72 says, And David shepherded them with what? Integrity of heart. And with skillful hands, he led them. There's a big difference between these two. We cannot allow ourselves to substitute them. Just quickly look at the difference that maybe this table will just help you to see more clearly. Charisma, it, it, there's nothing wrong with it, by the way, but I like to say charisma opens doors. The character will keep the doors open. You know what's unfortunate? We frequently select leaders. Forgive me, I'm, this is a bit of a bunny trail. We select leaders and we vote for people who have a lot of charisma when we ought to be looking and examining character first. See, charisma impresses people, but character impresses God. Who do you want to impress? God, right? Let people do whatever they're going to do, but let's impress God. Let's please God, amen? And then, and then as I said, charisma is all about image. Character is about integrity. Uh, I don't know whether you've ever thought about it. My, my wife, lovely wife, comes from a small town in southeast Texas called Luling. It is known as the watermelon capital of the world. How many of you have ever struggled buying a watermelon? You know what the challenge with buying a watermelon is? You never know until you get on the inside of it. Right, Leander? You don't know until you cut that thing open. 
So they've developed in Texas, this is deep in the heart of Texas, they've developed certain skill sets and techniques for testing watermelons. And it's called the proper thump. They actually have a festival every year in her little town, God bless it, called the Watermelon Thump. Can you imagine? Now, I'll get, I'll get in trouble later for telling the story, but it's called the Watermelon Thump. They even have a watermelon queen. I mean, now the whole deal, right? But it's all about thumping the watermelons to see if, you know, what they're like and whether it's a good one, whether it's ripe or not. The problem is you can't tell. I've watched people stand in the produce section or go by a little fruit stand on the side of the road. They're hitting, knocking on them. It's like listening to them like something's alive inside the watermelon and all these different activities. I'm thinking all of this just to figure out what's on the inside. You arrive home, you think you have the right one, you spent your hard-earned cash, you get home and you open it up, and what do you find? Just an average-tasting watermelon, not really sweet at all. I think sometimes a watermelon is a good example of how people are. Because we've done really good at developing the exteriors when what really matters is what's inside of the rind. Amen? Lastly, and I'll close with this, there's a dangerous substitution that we make of consumerism for commitment. Consumerism is a mindset that unfortunately has invaded the West. For consumers, things are always their path to fulfillment. The best way to describe a consumer is we want to have it all. We want to have it all. We'll have enough only when we get some more. That's the mindset of a consumer. Unfortunately, it is the ethos of America. We have really lost our way when it comes to what really matters. I want to connect this idea of consumerism to the local church for a moment. Because consumerism has showed up for church. And way too often, as a church leader, and one who tries to train effective church leaders, the problem is, is we yield to consumerism rather than building commitment. Over and over again, church members will say this. Christians church hopping will say this. Ah, that church just isn't, you've heard this, you may have even said it. I've said it before. That church just isn't meeting my needs. That may sound legit. The problem is it undermines the idea of where has God assigned you. Church is not just about meeting your needs. Please help me. Researcher George Barner recently observed, listen to this, I'll quote him, we are a designer society. We want everything customized to fit our personal needs, our clothing, our food, our education, and now our religion. Faith, as one author said, I'm just going to read from Jeffrey McDonald's article. Faith has become a consumer commodity in America. People shop for congregations that will make them feel more comfortable rather than those that spiritually challenge them. 
They still steer clear of formal commitments to Christian communities of faith. They flee when they're not quickly gratified or when they encounter interpersonal problems. Changing churches has become as routine as changing jobs. And that's more frequent now too, isn't it? As a result, churches are no longer able to help people develop solid moral character. Listen, I'm the first one even in our connection seminar where people become a part of our church more formally, I even have a section where I teach people how to leave the church. So I'm not blind to the fact that people are going to change churches. What I'm concerned about is churches, and specifically today, our church submitting to the spirit of the day, which is this consumer-mindedness. And I just want to make it really clear. I refuse to exchange the gold of real commitment to Christ and to his body for pleasing consumers. I won't go there. That doesn't mean some people may not get pleased in the process, but there'll also be quite a few users that don't get pleased. We're going to follow God. We're going to do it his way. And I'm committed to that, and I refuse to change, and I'm just way too old to change, okay? So not changing on that. The New Testament standard is what? The New Testament standard is commitment. I know it's not a popular word, but Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 describes the early church, our prototype church, and it says what? They devoted, they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Commitment. That's what we should focus on building in the church, not convenience. It's great to be convenient but only if it pleases God first. I love what someone said, that people always drift into complacency. They never drift into commitment. You'd never find someone just kind of casually, just kind of drifts into commitment. No, it's a commitment. It's a line that's drawn. It's an act of your will, a decision to do something. I pray that you will join me in an absolute refusal to be a spectator. When I come to church, you say, oh, that's, that's easy for you. You're the pastor. No, no, I, I'm also a sheep, okay? So whenever I attend church, I come with a mindset of I'm going to participate. I don't participate, enter into worship, enter in because I'm just trying to be a good example. I understand that's a part of good pastoral leadership, but I participate because what? I refuse to be a spectator. Listen to me carefully. Worship viewed from a distance will always look weird. When Michael viewed David from the window, speaking of their earlier reference, she said, oh, I don't want any part of that. I'm embarrassed by my husband out there. This is not a spectator sport. This is not local church should be participation-based. We want you to be involved in what God is doing. We want you to be integrated into his presence. We want you to participate with what God is doing in the body of believers in this community. Don't be a player. Don't, don't be a spectator. Be a player. I close. The two statements, the gold shields are gone. Too many times that's true. Secondly, brass shields have been used to replace them. 
would you just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart in your life? Are there areas where brass has now become your preferred shield? Have you allowed maybe over time for the enemy to steal the gold? And now you're busy trying to polish up the brass? Would you examine your heart and make certain that today you're not falling in the trap of these examples that I gave, these warnings to all of us about substituting shields? I'm going to lead you in prayer. And I'm just asking that if it's your heart, I'm going to ask that those that are appointed for prayer uh, ministry here, these two teams, will just come and be in position to pray with you if you need prayer. Would you pray with me this morning and bow your heads? And if you're here this morning, you're not right with God. If you're not right with God in some way, would you just pray and say, Lord, hear my prayer today. If you don't know Jesus on a personal level, this isn't about religion. This isn't about performance. This isn't about a show. This is about the relationship that he has for you. Put aside religion. Accept Christ and his relationship that he wants for your life today. And I'm also going to pray for us as a church that we'll heed this word. Father, today, we thank you that you've given us the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word. And so today, Lord, I pray that there are those that are present who, for whatever their reason, simply their relationship with you is not what it should be. I thank you that the Spirit of the Lord has been working and convicting all through this service, drawing people to you. I pray that today there are those that will make a decision to accept what you did on our behalf, not trying to work our way into heaven, not trying to work our way into acceptance, but today we would accept the work of grace represented through Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would draw us into that right relationship. Lord, there's some of us here today who have been following you for a long time, but for whatever the reason, just like Judah, we have slid over into some apostasy and we, our, our, our first love has become weakened and now we're just busy replacing the gold with brass and bronze. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us today. Pray that we would make the kinds of decisions today that would be wholehearted, focused on you, Help us as a church, Lord, never to make these substitutions. In Jesus' name.